0: Alright, welcome to the State of the Lakers locker room, post-game, film breakdown, whatever you want to call it. It's the first time we're doing it, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I will post the uh, full-length recording of this in the uh, State of the Lakers podcast feed later today. Um, not even that later today, probably like 20 minutes after I'm done. Uh, so, Raj and I, you know, we talked a lot about how we wanted to you know, kind of find areas in in Lakers coverage that haven't already um, been done or aren't already being done to a great extent. And that's why we've been doing our post game shows and and things along those lines. Uh, uh, And I wanted to just kind of take this opportunity to try some of this film breakdown stuff to see what you guys think, if it's something you guys are interested in. You know how it is, we're just kind of rolling with the punches and we appreciate your guys' feedback and Uh, uh, anything that you guys can let us know about how we can uh, provide better content for you guys, if you guys could just let us know. But anyway, I wanted to focus on the second half last night. I've always been, you know, when you watch games like this, I feel like you learn the most uh, when the game is decided. That's why I focused on the second half. Um, That run there in the middle of the – in the middle of the uh, third quarter is where everything went off the rails. That's when the game was decided. Everything leading up to that, it's just teams kind of feeling each other out. But then when the team kind of gains their advantage and goes on their run, that's when the game is decided. So that's when I focused on it. There were a bunch of interesting things that I noticed from the film, and you could see them on my Twitter page. I put the handle in the name of the of the locker room here, um, that underscore Jason LT. If you guys follow that, you'll see the full thread where I uh, broke down, not every play, but just about every play uh, in, in that run to start the third quarter. Um, you can kind of get a feel for what I was noticing. You know, so I want to start with uh, uh, with Drummond's defense because that was the big uh, talking point last night. And, you know, one of the big things that, that stood out to me, first of all, when you look at the numbers, the Lakers defend extremely well With everybody on the roster to this point in the season, with exception of Andre Drummond, every single player on the team has a defensive rating sub 110, uh, except for Andre Drummond, who's almost 113. Now, uh, it's important to understand that defensive rating is a team-related stat. Drummond has only played 11 games. In the last five games, the Lakers' defensive rating is up over, if I'm not mistaken, right around 113. So as a team, they haven't been playing great defensively. I think that's important context there because roughly half of Drummond's games, they haven't been defending. Well, that's going to throw off some of his stats, but then the question becomes how much of a role does Drummond play in that? And when we watch the, the film, the big thing that stands out to me is just awareness. You know, uh, Drummond's criticism throughout his career has always been inconsistent awareness and inconsistent effort. Talk to anybody who watched him in Detroit, anybody who watched him in Cleveland. You know, once every four or five games, he would look like Bill Russell where he's just flying around everywhere, he's breaking everything up, and then the next four games, he would just be a shell of that type of impact. And in my opinion it comes down to a couple different things. It's not just playing hard, it's paying attention. And if you look in that thread that I that I put out You could see so many examples of him just being a step slow in his reactions and not being really aware of what's happening around him. And Russell Westbrook is basically careening down the floor and uh, uh, keeping his eye on Drummond and just waiting for him to stop paying attention for a second and then firing the ball to Alex Lynn wherever it is that he ends up for another layup or for another dunk. And you know uh if you look at the Lakers defensive scheme in general, you know there's all this there's always been this idea that they defend teams by being huge that kind of started last year with with Dwight Howard and with Javale McGee. this idea that you know we're just so big, we're gonna block a million shots, teams can't score on us because we're so big, and the truth of the matter is is that was never the reason why they were so good defensively they were so good defensively because Frank is an amazing X's and O's defensive coach, and they have unbelievable effort and focus from their perimeter players defensively. That is the reason why their defense actually went up a level without Dwight and JaVale, and that is the reason why their defense still looks so elite when LeBron and AD are out. They just fly around on the perimeter, chasing guys off the three-point line, flying around in rotations to help each other off of double teams and things along those lines. That's what makes their defense so intimidating and so productive. And so, you know, it's easy to think like, oh, we bring Drummond back and we're just going to be like we were last year. But the truth of the matter is the only reason that last year's, the only real impact that those bigs had on last year's defense was shot blocking. Lakers led the league in shot blocking last year, but shot blocking is just a small part of defense. And that's been proven right this year with how successful they've been without those two guys. But having Drummond, a guy who's essentially a weak link in their focus chain, a weak link in their effort chain, a weak link in their awareness chain on defense, it just causes these breakdowns that lead to wide-open dunks and wide-open layups and and things along those lines. And so if you look in that thread, you'll see three or four examples where, you know, he's kind of paying attention. Like, here comes a cross-screen. For Bradley, for Bradley Beal, and he's aware the screen's happening, but like he's 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 not really paying attention to what his responsibilities are there. Like, guess what? Like you're you're you've already got separation from Alex Len, and you've made a gap. They call it opening up, um, uh, and making an opening for KCP to run through. And you've made that opening, but then you run with Beal anyway. So you you've basically defended as though you're expecting KCP to follow Beal, but then you follow Beal anyway. Alex Len is wide open, Russ throws it to him for a dunk. That's just that's like it's like you're trying, but you're not paying attention. You're not putting the brain work into it. Then there was another one in there where in transition, Alex Len just goes and, and sets a, a pin down for Bradley Beal coming out of the corner. And on a sequence like that, what you prefer to do as a big is show on the screen so that Beal can't just curl it and fire away wide open, which is the right way, the right way to defend that play. However, he's slow to get there on the pin down. So if Beal would have come off, he would have been open anyway. And then when Alex Len slipped the screen, he was slow to recover back to Alex Len. And so essentially he's again trying on defense. He's just not paying attention well enough for his athletic tools to really be impactful. And I think that that's been a a recurring theme so far from him defensively. That's why if you look at highlights, you'll see these moments where, you know, he looks like he's a deeply impactful. I mean, look at that first sequence in his first game when he came back, when he, when he blocked that shot on that second jump, you know, along the baseline in that first game, it's like, Oh man, like we haven't had this since last year. That's awesome. Um, But the actual totality of the product in all of the plays together, um, there's a lot of mistakes mixed in there. And that's where, that's where it's really, really hurting them. And then, you know, shifting towards him on the offensive end, you know, it's, there's again, a ton of good and bad. And that's kind of like the theme with the Drummond experience so far. You look at uh, in that film thread I did, there are a couple of really, really awesome sequences of the chess match of the, the Drummond-Davis offensive experience. That first play of the, of the second half in that thread that I put out, Drummond uh, is kind of standing in the dunker spot. The Lakers try to run pick and roll with Dennis Schroeder and Anthony Davis. Uh, they just switch it, and then they have Russell Westbrook front Anthony Davis because they know Alex Len is right behind him because he doesn't have to guard Drummond. And so what do they do? They flash Andre Drummond to the free throw line. They throw it to the free throw line, forces Alex Len to step up on Drummond, which then leaves Anthony Davis open over the top for a uh, uh, for a foul. Uh, Russ ends up having to foul him to stop him from laying it in. Then they run these cross screen actions where they basically just have Drummond screen for AD so he can kind of flash to the semicircle and take a little jumper, a little floater or whatever it is that he takes from from up there. First time they run it, the Wizards switch, but they're a little slow. It's a wide open shot for AD. He makes it. Second time they run it, the Wizards switch. They switch it more aggressively. Now Rui Hachimura is on Drummond. Drummond just ducks in, and Kuzma throws it um, to Drummond for an easy layup and one. These are all examples of the good of having this kind of size advantage. You know, again, the Wizards switch everything. That was one of the big things I noticed in that second half. And the Lakers are going to face some teams that switch everything along the way, namely the Clippers and the Nets. And those specific teams, there's a tendency for teams to try to force the ball to the big man against the small man. And they think that's how you beat a switching defense. And there's some truth to that, but it has to be the way the Lakers were doing it with Drummond, which is a deep seal where he can just catch and go up because refs allow so much physical contact from smaller players against post players in those matchups that if you throw it down to the post and he's 10 feet away from the rim and he has to back him down and make a play, it makes all of this opportunity for defensive help to come in and for the small man to, you know, shove his knee up his, his ass or whatever it is he's got to do to push him out of the lane where, where the refs aren't going to call anything. There's all these ways where it can go wrong. Well, that kind of thing that uh, a deep seal from Andre Drummond that's a really interesting way to attack a switching defense because Rui Hachimura is a big, strong wing. I mean, he's the guy who guarded LeBron for the most part in their matchup uh, earlier when uh, when AD was out. And when that happened, Rui Hachimura was every bit as you know big and physical and imposing as any defensive wing that LeBron had went up against and actually had some success against LeBron. Well, he can't guard Andre Drummond when he gets that deep under the basket and you saw that in those sequences when he would get a a deep seal uh, uh, layup. And so those are the interesting good parts of having Drummond on the floor as a way to attack around the rim against a switching defense. But there was a lot of bad from Drummond, and as you could probably imagine, has to do with spacing. So, I mean, we've, we've talked about this all at length in other podcasts, but yes, you know, Anthony Davis is clearly extremely intent on playing with a center. He has made that abundantly clear in every single one of his inter- interviews that it's very important to him that somebody next to him is banging around with bodies and taking all of the physical punishment while he uh, gets to focus on being mainly a perimeter player. That's, that's all uh, uh, Anthony Davis cares about. He has also said, I'm willing to play the five when I have to, and that's great. However, it, be- it became really clear after those comments from ad yesterday uh when he said that uh um that it, that he is really invested in that andre drummond partnership it's very clear that the andre drummond signing was probably a reaction to the fact that anthony davis didn't really get the feeling that marcus was accomplishing that goal which we all disagree with i'm pretty sure i would imagine if i polled you guys you all would say that you prefer marcus but uh, 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 Right now, Anthony Davis is calling the shots, it would seem, with that uh, specific rotation uh, decision. And all we can hope is that when push comes to shove, that Frank Vogel will, for lack of a better term, have the stones to to step up to everybody in the room and be like, hey, it's time for us to put uh, Marcus all out there. But you can see it really uh, interestingly with the with the spacing. So. This is something I noticed for the first time in that uh, uh, Mavericks matchup. Um, actually, it was the Orlando Magic matchup. At the end of the game, when they started spamming Dennis Schroeder and Andre Drummond kick and roll uh, with Anthony Davis in the corner, and uh, Schroeder just picked them apart. When they use Andre Drummond as the screener, it allows the, uh, uh, the Lakers to generate enough space for Dennis Schroeder to gain an advantage, which he can then use to pick apart the defense. When they use Anthony Davis as the screener, Andre Drummond's man just camps in the paint, completely shutting down any driving lane and clogs up the entire action. And that's been the story of the Laker offense for two years. Uh, when it wasn't Drummond, it was Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. But And there were even some moments early this year where they would, for whatever reason, use Marcus Gasol in the dunker spot, which was a huge waste of what he does offensively, especially at his age. Um, But I really think that's interesting because, you know, think about the Warriors, for example. The Warriors know that teams don't want to guard Draymond Green. But if they use Draymond Green as the screener, it makes it harder for you to ignore Draymond Green. Because if you ignore Draymond Green... He can pick you apart in that short roll where he sets the screen. They doubled Steph Curry. He just kind of pops about 10 feet away so Steph can loop it over the top. And he catches it barreling down the lane to either lay the ball in or kick it out to a shooter. Where Draymond Green becomes completely useless on the offensive end is when he's not involved in the screening action. And he's standing somewhere else on the floor and they can completely ignore him. Well, that's what the Lakers... Uh, have a problem with with Andre Drummond. If they put him off the ball at all whatsoever, then he he just gets completely ignored. And that would be fine if he was like Montrez as a finisher, because that's the same problem they have with Montrez. The difference is Montrez is such a monster finisher around the basket. If he catches it, he's going to make it or he's going to get fouled. Well, Drummond will miss every easy layup he takes and then make a handful of uh, these crazy chaotic layups, And his finishing percentage will be crazy low and he'll have a, you know, like I think his field goal percentage this year is right around 50, 52 percent, I think. So he doesn't make you pay enough in the dunker spot to bring value. And then they completely ignore him anywhere else on the floor, which is making it so that any action they run with Drummond out of the screening action is just easy to shut down. That makes Anthony Davis, one of the best pick and roll players in the league, useless are more useless than he should be uh, with that poor spacing. Then they take Drummond, they put him as the screener, and everything opens up. And if you look in that thread, you'll see a lot of examples of Dennis Schroder getting separation, getting to the rim, dropping to de- uh, dropping to Drummond, kicking out the shooters when Anthony Davis was spotting up at the three point line, and Andre Drummond was the the screener enrollment. It's obviously the best way to use him when he's in the lineup, which for the record, there's some advantage there, especially when LeBron comes back because LeBron's just a little bit better at all of the things that that Dennis does and is so much better as a score. Um, But at the end of the day, like, you know, the Lakers went on a huge run in the fourth quarter with AD at the five. And it's really simple. Why? Because you lose all of those defensive mistakes that Drummond made, all of his slow defensive awareness. You're taking that weak link, in their defensive chain and you're swapping it out for another guard who is a strong link in their defensive chain. And and then on the other end, you're getting that same spacing they were getting with Drummond as the screener, except now Anthony Davis is the screener and you've got the same amount of shooting around that. And it's just a much more devastating attack. And that's how Anthony Davis got going in isolation. You just had more room to work with. That's how Dennis got going. Everything about the way that that lineup works is better. And the only silver lining, if you're a Lakers fan, the only thing that should make you feel good about this is last year in the postseason, the Lakers played about 60% of their minutes with AD at the five. So if there's one, now a lot of that was uh, Marquise Morris at the five, but technically AD is the five in that case. And uh, and Markevich is just a better player this year than he was last year, although he's in a little bit of a cold spell right now. But if there's one silver lining, that obvious advantage they gain with AD at the five, we can be relatively certain that the Lakers are going to use that and use it often when they get to the postseason. I just think it's it's really jarring because you know it seems like really you know it seems like really uh, uh, simple and easy to be like, oh, the Lakers are better with AD at the five. The Lakers are better with AD at the five. You know, Drummond's bad. Drummond's bad. But then you watch the film and it's like really, really easy to see how that impacts things. When Drummond is off the ball, every two-man action becomes two-on-three. You had Russ on Dennis, you had Rui Hachimura on AD, and Alex Len just playing free safety behind them. Then all of a sudden, when they would move Drummond into the screener position, Alex Len, the slow-footed center, is now directly involved in the screening action – Rui Hachimura is off the ball trying to guard Anthony Davis, who is a shooter. And Dennis Schroeder now has the ability to attack and get into the lane and make things happen. It really is that simple. Um, Let's see. I had a couple other things I wanted to hit on. I want to hit on Anthony Davis's offense and then uh, Talon Horton Tucker and what I thought about him last night again. Um, If you guys have any questions, drop them into the comments and I'll hit them at the end. And as usual with this locker room stuff, if you want to hop in and talk, all you got to do is uh, drop a speaker request. It's the whole point of me doing these. And I would love to have you hop in. Okay. Offensively with Anthony Davis. So, you know, when he's coming back from this injury, there's been a lot of people talking about how great he looks physically. Um, I think he looks great in the sense that he's healthy, which is all that really matters. Um, But he does, I think, have quite a ways to go in terms of really, uh, uh, getting his athleticism back and the the dead giveaway to me was uh there was a play late in the fourth quarter where if you remember he tried to do a um, he tried to do like a a, a a put back dunk then he missed it, got the offensive rebound like power dribble went back up for another putback dunk and he missed them both off the back of the rim a d from the bubbles dunking both of those. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's a concern. I just think it goes to show you that he still has a level he can get to in his conditioning and his leg strength where he's going to be a more athletic center around the basket. Uh, the, exa- the example I would give is uh, right before my sophomore year, I broke my foot. And I was fully healed when I got into training camp, but I just didn't trust that foot to jump off of. I didn't quite have that confidence in it. To, to really take off. And I was really a, a bad player for the first half of that season. And then I uh, kind of regained my confidence in that foot in conference play. And I ended up making the all conference team because I was much, much better in conference play. It just took, there's a the health phase, but then there's the confidence phase. And this was literally AD's Achilles. Like he's at the health phase, but he has to regain the confidence in his Achilles to really trust it when he plants off of it. And ironically it's one of the big concerns I had for LeBron because he, you know, he had his groin thing. But other than that groin thing, he hasn't really had an extensive lower body injury at all in in his career. And so <laughs> this is the first time that he's going to be getting back on the floor and not really trusting one of his feet to plant on, uh, when he's elevating in the lane. And so I hope that he doesn't go through a similar phase where he's healthy, but not confident and has to regain that confident uh, confidence in the limb, uh, uh in his leg. Now, the, the one thing that makes me feel a little better is I think if I remember correctly, it's his right ankle. And, uh, uh, he's always been a, a left leg jumper um, when he gets into the lane. He can go off two feet when he needs to, but he's left foot jumper type of player. Um, and so I, I, I'm less worried about him regaining his confidence. As far as AD offensively though, I thought it was good to see him regain his confidence in his jumper. He's been a bad jump shooter for most of the season. That's the thing that's kind of frustrating. He came back uh, from the bubble in December and had like a little, five to 10 game stretch where he was, you know, 40% from three and still making some mid range jump shots, but then he tanked and it, it wasn't just injury related, like for literally like 30 games or whatever it was that he played there. I think he played 27 games, so Caught like, call it like 20 games, you know, after his hot start, he just couldn't make a jumper. It was bad from three bad from mid range. He was just a shell shell of himself from the standpoint of confidence in his jump shot. And he uh, uh, actually, I want to say he at one stretch missed, 32 out of 36 three-point shots that's like something crazy like 11 or something along those lines um so it was good last night to see him really uh have a shot chart that resembled what he did in the bumble uh, in the bubble which is just three level scoring scoring at the rim making shots in isolation at a mid-range and he made two threes including a big one in the fourth quarter i mean the, the lakers weren't really in a position to win the game but it was absolutely a a uh uh, somewhat meaningful shot in the sense that it got the game back to nine points with, you know, roughly five minutes left. And, and uh, it was just good to see, and he stepped into it. He's a little bit behind the line. He was on the right wing. He was probably like 26, 27 feet and just, and just nailed it. So I think he looks good and confident. The jump shot is the most important thing to keep an eye on. It looks healthy, but I think people forget just how good he is as an athlete. And, uh, and he's so spindly and long and we see him get dunks anyway that we think he's healthy, but I think he still has a long way to go in a good way. Uh, but I think he has a long way to go to recovering, um, how good he was as a, as a, as an athlete from before the injury. All right. Last thing I wanted to touch on before I get you guys out of here is, uh, um, is Talenhorn Tucker. So, uh, <laughs> He had a really bad stretch um, there at the end of that Wizards run. So the Wizards got it to ten on a uh, um, on a play where Drummond lost Alex Len in transition again for the third time in the third quarter, and Alex Len ended up getting a uh, 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 like a little hook shot that he made, and Kuzma came over the top of him and fouled him, and uh, it was like seventy eight to sixty eight or something along those lines. And so in comes Montrezl Harrell for Andre Drummond, and then they brought in Talon Horton Tucker for Dennis Schroeder. That was the sub pattern, and uh, you know Washington, for the record, is an is absolutely uh, a much better defense than we all think uh, uh, than than we all think they are based on what they were early in the season. In their last, I think it's like month or so, month and a half, uh, if you throw out garbage time. <laughs> They've actually been a top 10 defense in the league. Uh, and a, a big part of that has to do with the, the playing more athleticism, you know, with, with Chandler Hutchinson and, and uh, with Rui Hachimura, who's been playing all season, but he's just he, the Chan, uh, like Rui Hachimura is developing into like a really, really good uh, three, four uh, forward defender. And then, you know, Russell Westbrook has regained most of his athleticism after looking pretty washed to start the season. And Alex Lyon is, you know, every bit as good as any, starting level, mid, middle of the pack type of center that you'll find in the league. And uh, Bradley Beal's okay. I, I, th- I thought he was pretty sloppy defensively last night, but they're a good defensive team. And Town Horton Tucker really didn't know what to do with them. Raul Neto and, and Ish Smith were putting a ton of ball pressure on him. And the ball pressure really seems to throw him off, which is crazy because he has a distinct advantage in the sense that he's stronger and he's taller and he's longer than most of these little guards that he's going to go against. So he has a, a physical advantage that he can use, but he, he seems to be a little bit discombobulated by ball pressure. And at ball pressure, one of, the, one of the big reasons why teams like to employ ball pressure is not to force turnovers necessarily, but just to fatigue players and to accelerate them, make them make decisions faster than they want to. You know, a lot of guards want to see the floor slowly because that's how they can pick a defense apart. But if you ball pressure a guy, and force him to drive past you, now he's kind of going at a faster pace than he wants to, and it could force him to make some mistakes. And there was a sequence there uh right uh at the end of my thread that I did uh where you know in a uh, uh, uh he's handling the ball at the top of the key against ball pressure and Montrez does a deep seal and he throws the ball over the top to Montrez but leaves it way short and uh, they steal it and run the other way. Then the next possession is Smith is ball pressuring him again, just like I said, got on his backside and forced him into the paint, drives right into Alex Len, has absolutely no angle, and just does some, like, crazy scooping flip shot over his right shoulder that's not remotely open, and uh, I think it ended up, like, hitting the corner of the backboard or something. And, and then the very next possession um, – uh, the, the Lakers end up getting a kick out three to Ben McLemore and Talon Horton Tucker uh, runs back on defense and gets into the painted area, which is what you're supposed to do for the record. When you're the first man back, you run to the basket. Uh, but Ben McLemore uh, uh, later in the sequence is screaming at THT and pointing at Bradley Beal in the, in the right corner for him to get out to so the shooter. THT is way, 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 way too slow to react. Isn't paying attention even though other Lakers at this point had already gotten back and uh, Bradley Beal makes a three and just like that, it's a 15 point game. And, you know, once you, once you get up to the, you know, 15 plus type of margin, the game takes on a completely different feel because now you damn near have to play perfect. And that's literally what happened. The Lakers went to the AD at the five and they really uh, uh, got stuff going offensively and started playing better defense. But if you watch, there's just some, crazy shots that get made Bradley Beal after timeout shoots a little step back over KCP, tough contested shot makes it, you know, Rui Hachimura on a closeout does like a step back. I think it was on Kyle Kuzma, but contested step back shot makes it. And then another play, Russell Westbrook in, tra- in semi-transition, attacks Kyle Kuzma, kind of a questionable call, probably not a foul, uh, but it gets called and, and Russ makes it anyway. And, you know, those seven points there, completely uh, uh, close the door on you because you're down 15 and you have to play perfect. And all they have to do is even if they play bad basketball, they just have to make a few shots and they're going to win at that point. Um, So uh, as far as Tht goes, you know, I think, I think I've been pretty consistent about this all year. I, I I think he has all, all uh, all star type potential. And especially on the defensive end, he's been one of the best defenders on the Lakers this year when he's engaged. But he has two fatal flaws. He can't shoot, which directly impacts the Lakers spacing, which is not just about him and his percentages. It's about everybody. It affects LeBron's ability to get in the lane. It impacts Anthony Davis's ability to get in the lane. It impacts Dennis Schroeder's ability to get in the lane. Everybody hurts when you have one non-shooter on the floor. And then on the defensive end, he, oh, and by the way, that stuff with THT is shooting, that just gets exaggerated in the postseason. Like everybody takes those same defensive principles they employ in the regular season and just exaggerates the hell out of them to take away stars. Then on the defensive end, when he's engaged, he's one of their best defensive players, but it's the lapses. You know, if you think of, we think about uh, um, defense in terms of points per 100 possessions, right? Like essentially the scoreboard, how many points are you giving up? And, you know, THT can play really good defense on three possessions, but make a catastrophic mistake where he's not paying attention that leaves a shooter open. And let's say they make a tough shot on one of the other possessions. Now, all of a sudden they've scored five points in four possessions. That's a a defensive rating of 125. Like that's how bad a, a catastrophic mistake can be on the scoreboard. Even if you do your job on other possessions, whereas let's say a lesser defender, someone like, Ben McLemore, for instance, let's say Ben McLemore is not as impactful when he's engaged, but he doesn't make the catastrophic mistake. Maybe they'd make, you know, two tougher shots and they're both two pointers. And now they've scored four points in four possessions. That's a 100 defensive rating. Essentially what I'm saying is you would rather have a lesser defensive player who doesn't have mental lapses than a THT who's got like mini Kawhi Leonard type potential, but has these like brain farts that give up wide open shots to fantastic shooters that can swing games. And we've seen a lot of examples of that this year, starting with that uh, Toronto Raptors game earlier this year, where he let uh, Gary Trent Jr. Get going. All right. I am uh, uh, almost done. I'm just going to check the questions real quick to see if you guys have any questions. I've got one in here already. If you guys have any other questions, just uh, drop them in the comments and I'll hit them before I get out of here. What are your thoughts? This is from Venkatesh. Uh, What are your thoughts on Wes Matthews absence from the rotation recently outside of Drummond and Gasol in in 80 at the five lineups? What do you think will be the odd man out to get squeezed out of the rotation in the playoffs? So as far as, far as Wes Matthews goes, you know, I think, I think the Lakers have gone all all in on a couple of things. One, they're really trying to get um, uh, uh, Ben McLemore acclimated and try to get a feel for what he brings to the table as a shooter. Um, Ben McElmore has shot. Okay. Not great. I think he was three for 10 last night. And I think he's up to, I think he's like 37% or something like that on the season. Um, if he's only going to shoot 37% from three, the trade off doesn't make sense and you end up going with someone like Wes. Um, but if LeBron comes back and he ends up being a 38%, uh, uh, contested shooter and, 45% 45% wide open shooter, just like a really, really uh, effective shooter, then he does, he does bring value. And you are better off playing Ben Macklemore because he is an okay defensive player in their scheme. Uh, he did pretty well running around in rotations last night. Um, But as far as West goes, like if, if the shooting isn't there for for Ben Macklemore, he's just a much better defensive option. And it's all matchup dependent. Like I think the Lakers are going to play a lot of, a lot of Wesley Matthews, against Brooklyn and against the Clippers uh, because of the fact that they need his strength on the wing to guard bigger wing offensive players to take that responsibility away from LeBron and AD so they can focus on being backline defenders and, and being effective offensive players. So, I mean, it, it's all, it's all going to be matchup dependent. Let's see outside of Drummond Gasol in AD at the five lineups, who do you think will be the odd man out that could squeeze in the rotation of the playoffs? So let's say, Let's say the Lakers drop centers entirely. We're looking at in the front court, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Kyle Kuzma, Marquise Morris. And um, in that case, I would say that Montrez would probably be benched as well. So you've got four forwards there in Kuzma, LeBron, AD, and Morris. Then at the guards, you're choosing between Dennis and KCP, Caruso and THT, Wes Matthews, and uh, and uh, Ben McLemore. So that's a 10-man rotation. You know, I think given the way that the Lakers play, it's not completely unfathomable that all 10 of those guys could play in that circumstance, um, especially given the fact that they're going to start against Denver and deal with high elevation and all the impacts that can have on on fatigue. Um, but, I mean, when push comes to shove, I, I personally think that you're going to see Talon Horton Tucker get squeezed. And then you'll see some combination of – you're going to see a lot of Dennis, KCP, Alex Caruso. And then um, I think you'll see Wes or uh, Ben Macklin are based on matchups, whether they need a wing defender or they need more shooting. And then in the front court, the uh, I think you're going to see Kuzma take more from Markeith Morris. And the reason why is Kuzma – and this this is the last thing I'll say because I don't have any more questions in the thread – uh Kuzma (laughs) has turned into uh, a really 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 solid uh role player this is something that's been talked about at length uh last night again he had eight assists and was just making uh, excellent reads everywhere that he caught the ball on the floor he's turned into a better he is a better defensive player than Marquise. I think I'd take Markeith as a post defender so it just depends like maybe you want you know, Mark Heath in a, in a matchup against uh, uh, someone that's trying to bully you. Uh, uh, but outside of that specific matchup, I think Kuzma is a better defensive player. He's better in rotations. He's better as a help defender. He's got a little bit more length. Um, and I actually like him better on the perimeter than Mark Heath, Although although neither of them are fantastic in that, in that role. Um, but Kuzma is, is turned into a really, really solid player. He's at 36% from three now on the season. Uh, Marquise, by the way, is lower. He's at like 32% on the season. A lot of that has to do with his recent cold streak. But I, I would imagine that if things really got squeezed and they dropped, uh, dropped playing any of their fives, you'd see a lot of – you'd see Kuzma, LeBron, and AD uh, basically play all the, the four or five minutes. And then, uh, like, let's say, let's say AD plays, you know, uh, 38 minutes in the postseason or 40 minutes – you might see eight minutes of Montrez in that in that five roll just because he's a little bit better flying around in rotations. Um, but you're going to see a lot of Kuzma, and then at, my guess is the Keith gets squeezed, and then they'll play. Uh, uh, they won't play Tht, and they'll choose between Wes and uh, Ben McElmoor based on the matchups. righty. Uh, let's see. Any other questions? Should Schroeder close every series, or are there situations where he shouldn't? I think you should. I think Schroeder is the one guy you have to play. And the main reason why is because it's a, a he's become flat out a really good playmaker. I Talked about that in the thread today. You can see a couple examples of that. He's one of their best defensive players at the point of attack, and he's a serviceable. I think he's at 34% from three on the season. He's gonna he's gonna make enough threes that uh, that you have to guard him, and he's a confident shooter from the three point line. A confident and consistently aggressive shooter from the three point line. In the sense that he doesn't hurt your spacing, um, the only thing that would be interesting with Schroeder is if the Clippers just like really got good at posting him up on switches with uh, with Kawhi or PG, and then they started finding a way to capitalize on Laker double teams out of that and consistently get good looks, and they wanted to find a way to um, to stop double teaming, then I could see them going with you know, some crazy lineup like West Matthews, Alex Caruso, Kyle Kuzma, LeBron AD, where you feel a little more comfortable with any of those guys on an Island in the post. But other than that, I would, I would have shorter clothes in every game. I would rather run Gasol with AD off the bench with Braun out. I a hundred percent agree. We talked about that a lot earlier in the show. I'm going to, re- I'm going to release the, uh, de- uh the full length version of this on the podcast feed here in about uh, 20 minutes, and you can see everything I said about that. AD and AD should play together as little as possible. Same thing, Marlon. We talked about that a lot. I talked about uh, the differences in the way they guard, pick, and roll with AD and AD on the floor. Um, Just uh, stay tuned for the the podcast feed, and you'll see all that stuff. Do you think Mark is going to get the bulk of the five minutes in a Denver series, or do you think they start with Drummond? My guess is they're going to start with Drummond. Um, and if Drummond really you know, gets barbecued, that I think that they will go to Mark as an audible. But uh, they're, they're, there's no way they're not going to start with Drummond just as a result of the favor he has from the stars in the locker room, which isn't fair. I think we all agree Mark's better, but it's just the nature of the business. Um, AD, Gasol, Kuz, Dennis, and Caruso would be nice off the bench in the playoffs. Um, 100% agree. Um, uh, I would run as much AD and uh, Schroeder as you could with LeBron off the floor. And because LeBron is so good when you surround him by shooters, uh, if you actually look at the lineup data this year, LeBron on the floor without AD and Dennis is a net positive. Um, So I think an, an awesome strategy would be to stagger in a way that has LeBron run the bench lineups with shooting and then have uh, Dennis and AD run with more of the core guys because they need help. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Dennis and AD is actually a net negative this year. I'll have to look it up. Um, but you want it. Your goal there is to always have an advantage when you're on the floor. I trust AD to do, or excuse me, I trust LeBron to do more with less help. Uh, so I prefer to have him out there without AD and shooter, and vice versa. Is Trez playable versus Denver? Technically, I don't think Trez is much playable in any playoff matchup. Uh, the only reason why you might consider doing it is if you want to get really into a trap and recover type of defense um, against stars, meaning like you're double teaming Jokic every time down the floor, you're double teaming uh, uh, you know, Kawhi every time down the floor, you're double teaming, you're trapping every Chris Paul pick and roll, you're trapping every Donovan Mitchell pick and roll, and there's, it's like living in a consistent state of chaos. I prefer Trez running around in those rotations to one of those big lumbering centers. Um, but if they're going to play straight up coverage, he's not good in any of those matchups. But he did his job. I've said this many times, like, you know, Trez deserves credit. He did everything the Lakers needed him to do. LeBron maybe got hurt and he just ate a ton of innings for them in the regular season. All right, that's all I got, guys. Um, uh, Roger and I are going to end up doing something on Friday. I'm not sure exactly whether or not it'll be a morning podcast or a post-game podcast, Um, but we'll figure something out. I think LeBron's going to come back on Friday. That's just my guess uh, based on just the nature of the situation. I think the next two games are absolute must-wins against Sacramento and Toronto uh, because they run into some tougher ones after that against Denver and the Clippers. Um, and so, I, I, as I've said many times, I think the Lakers absolutely need the five seed for the sake of their playoff run being more manageable as they ramp up with LeBron and AD. And if you look at it, um, uh, the the uh, they're one game out of the six seed right now, and they're two games out of the seven seed. Now that could get even more complicated if uh, if Denver passes the Clippers, which is a distinct possibility. Because they're one game back of the Clippers right now. I think it's two in the loss column, but it's a one game overall uh, against against the the Clippers. So if the if Denver left them and got into the number three, then you'd actually rather be in the six seed. So it gets complicated. But the Lakers can kind of control their own destiny a little bit if they can beat Denver next week. Um, because by winning by beating Denver, you put yourself in a better position to to pass the Clippers. And uh, um, but anyway. Those Clippers and Nuggets games are not guarantees, uh, especially with a rusty LeBron. You'd prefer to have him have a few more reps going into those games anyway. Your best bet is bring him back on Friday. Let him get his sea legs against two lesser teams, although Toronto is not bad and Sacramento is definitely capable. They just beat Dallas the other night. Um, But get get a couple of wins that you absolutely need against those two teams and then turn around and beat Denver if you can. If you do that, if you do that, you put yourself in a really good uh, position to get the five seed and to keep Denver at the four seed, and give yourself a chance to have a, a manageable playoff run. I, I mean, I cannot say this enough. With how poorly they're playing, I don't know how they beat the Clippers if they catch them in the first round, or even you know, like if they catch them in the first round, I, I, I I'm not sure I'd take the Clippers. But man, like <laughs> that gets that gets a lot more complicated. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much for, for hanging out and listening. Thank you guys so much for, uh, supporting the pod and for checking out the film thread and all the good stuff. Um, like I said, I'm looking for feedback. Roger and I are constantly looking for feedback and what you guys are looking for in terms of Laker content from us. Um, uh, so don't hesitate to reach out on Twitter and let me know if you guys have any, uh, comments or anything like that. Um, and, uh, hang out about 20 minutes or so. I'll have the full length version of this on the podcast stream. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your day.